0: I hope you've had a great day. Uh, welcome to Scars Left Behind podcast, episode 27. Derek Servan, Arkansas V. Ban, and Utah Fathers. Police, Police Department officers mainly took the to stand Tuesday on the seventh day of testimony in Derek Servan's murder trial in the death of George Floyd. In addition to the officers who are experts in use of force, crisis intervention training and emergency medical response was Sergeant Jody Steiger of the Los Angeles Police Department. He testified as an outside expert on police training and use of force. Steiger will return to the witness stand Wednesday morning. The seventh day of witness testimony in Derek Savan's murder trial ended abruptly today, following several law enforcement witnesses testifying about police use of force and medical assistance policies. Hennepin County District Judge Peter Cahill ended court abruptly Tuesday afternoon after privately speaking with both prosecution and defence attorneys. The interruption came as prosecutor Steve Slyker was questioning Sergeant Jody Steiger of the Los Angeles Police Department, an expert on police training. Steiger will return to the stand Wednesday. Several law enforcement officers with the Minneapolis Police Department also testified on police training, use of force, tactics, and de escalation, and providing medical assistance earlier Tuesday. Witness testimony will continue Wednesday around 9.15am local time. Steve Schleicher that cardiopulmonary resuscitation CPR can be started while awaiting for paramedics to arrive. A point the prosecution has sought to drive home to suggest Derek Savan had a duty to provide medical treatment to George Floyd until paramedics arrived. The prosecution has called witnesses to stand including Minneapolis Police Chief Madeira Arredondo who said that Sharon had violated a range of departmental policies including by not rendering aid to Floyd before the ambulance was at the scene. (laughs) Floyd did not receive medical attention May 25th until two paramedics arrived. As police officers were arresting Floyd Bystander videos captured him repeatedly telling them he couldn't breathe. One officer can be heard telling Floyd that it takes a lot of oxygen to talk. Mackenzie who trains Minneapolis police officers in medical treatment contradicted that statement Tuesday. There is a possibility somebody could be in respiratory distress and still be able to verbalise it. Just because they're speaking doesn't mean they're breathing adequately. In his questioning of Mackenzie, Sarvan's attorney Eric Nelson continued a line of questions that he has many other experts, witnesses and bystanders to Floyd's arrest suggesting that the onlookers at the scene, many of whom shouted at Sarvan to get off Floyd influenced Sarvan's actions that day and potentially hampered his ability to render aid. McKenzie told Nelson that it is incredibly difficult to focus on a patient at a chaotic scene, and that it's more difficult to assess a patient. Does it make more likely that you might miss signs if a patient is experiencing something? Nelson asked. McKenzie said it was possible. Slicker quickly followed up and asked if a crowd of onlookers excuses a police officer from rendering aid. Only if they were physically getting themselves involved, she said. The 26th witness in a Derek Sovan murder trial is Sergeant Jody Steiger of the L.A. Police Department. police Department. He will testify as an outside expert on police training and use of force. Steiger is an aide to the Inspector General within the Los Angeles Police Department, which is an oversight entity. He said Tuesday afternoon he is the only sworn police officer that works for, the, for that unit. He said he has also trained thousands of officers as part of a course he developed that went over the escalation Firearms, manipulation, basic control tactics and arrest control techniques. The medical support coordinator with the Minneapolis Police Department was the third witness called to the stand Tuesday afternoon. Officer Nicole McKenzie said as the medical support coordinator With the department, she provided first aid and medical training to recruits and officers. She added, Sarvan has attended the training she conducts. Three Minneapolis departments took stand Tuesday on the seventh day of testimony in Derek Savan's murder trial in the death of George Floyd. The second witness on stand Tuesday is Lieutenant John Johnny Mercil who is currently on medical leave from the Minneapolis Police Department. Mercill was a use of force instructor and has been with the department since 1996. <coughs> Next segment. Legislators rebuffed Gov. Ezra Hortenson, making the state the first to ban gender-conforming treatments for transgender minors. Our Kansas legislators today made the state the first to ban gender-affirming care for transgender minors. Overriding Republican Governor Aza uh, Hutchinson vetoed the law prohibits doctors from providing gender-affirming medical care such as puberty blockers and hormone therapy and prevents them from referring minors to other providers. Major medical organisations such as the American Medical Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics opposed the bill which transgender advocates say couldn't have severe negative effects on trans youth in the state. Trace Strangio, Deputy Director for Transgender, Justice of the American Civil Liberties Unions, LGBTQ and HIV project, said in a statement that the legislature has ignored dozens of local doctors and national medical experts, as well as trans youth and their parents. This bill will drive families, doctors and businesses out of the state and send a terrible and heartbreaking message to the transgender young people who are watching in fear. Strangio said, Gender-affirming care is life-saving care and banning that care will have devastating and in some cases, deadly consequences. Trans youth in Arkansas, we will continue to fight for you. Hutchinson said in a news conference Monday that he would veto the bill, calling it a vast government overreach. He said that the GOP-controlled House and Senate were likely to override his veto, but that he was hopeful that my action will cause conservative Republican legislators to think through the issue again, and hopefully come up with a more restrained approach that allows a study of the science, and ethics surrounding the issue before acting. He said the measure went too far in interfering with parents and physicians and noted that it would cut off care for transgender youth already receiving treatment. He said he would have signed the bill had it focused only on gender-confirming surgery, which isn't performed on minors in the state. The measure's sponsor referred to the procedure as experimentation and compared the restriction to other limits the state places on minors. They need they need to get to be 18 before they make those decisions, said Rep. Robin Lundstrom, a Republican. The law will take effect in late July at the earliest. The ACLU said it planned to challenge the measure before then. This is a sad day for Arkansas, but this fight is not over, and we're in it for the long haul. Holly Dixon. Executive Director of the ACLU of Arkansas said in a statement We are hearing from concerned families all over the state who are afraid about the impact of this bill and others like it The override, which needed only a simple majority, passed easily in both chambers The House voted 72-25 in favour and the Senate voted 25-8 to Bills targeting transgender people have advanced easily in Arkansas and other states this year. Hutchinson recently signed legislation banning transgender girls from competing on middle school, high school and college sports teams consistent with their gender identities, a prohibition that Tennessee and Mississippi also enacted this year. Hutchinson also recently signed legislation that allows doctors to refuse to treat people because of moral or religious objections. The foundation, established by the family of the founder of Walmart, which is based in Bensonville, Arkansas, raised concerns today about the recent measures targeting LGBTQ people. This trend is harmful and sends the wrong message to those willing to invest in or visit our state. Tom Walton, of the Walton Family Foundation said in a statement before the overall vote a lawmaker opposed to the measure compared it to the Anti-Integration Bill the legislature passed in 1958 in opposition to the desegregation of Little Rock Central High School. What I see this bill is the most powerful again bullying the most vulnerable people in our state. Democratic Senator Clark Tucker said before the vote Advocates are also worried about the effects of the law on trans young people's mental health. The Trevor Project's 2020 National Survey on LGBTQ youth mental health found that more than half, 52% of transgender and non-binary youth seriously considered suicide in the previous year compared to 40% of all LGBTQ youth respondents. Research shows that gender-affirming medical care can reduce depressive symptoms and suicidal ideation among trans youth, according to the Trevor Project. It is not extreme or sensational to say that this group of young people who are already experiencing disproportionate rates of violence and suicide attempts would be put at a significant increased risk of self-harm. Because of legislation like HB 1570, Pushing them farther to the margins of society, said Sam Brinton, Vice President and of Advocacy and Government Affairs for the Trevor Project. And on that, passing a bill like this is what I would consider inhumane because you're because you are essentially stopping young people right who clearly you know Let's say you were born male, right, but obviously, but, you know, they feel trapped mm-hmm. and so on, right, in their body. Like, right? this will, this disallow uh, them to, you know, go for surgery or whatever. So, I think it, uh, people, i.e. the politicians, shouldn't be playing around with bills like this because it can ruin people's lives. Next segment, Salt Lake City. Biological biological fathers in Utah will be legally required to pay half of a woman's out-of-pocket pregnancy costs under a new law unique to the state that critics say doesn't do enough to adequately address maternal health care needs. The bill's sponsor has presented the measure as an effort to decrease the burden of pregnancy on women and increased responsibility for men who have children. But some critics argue the new legislation won't help women who are most vulnerable and could make abusive situations even more dangerous for pregnant women. (coughs) Utah appears to be the first state to mandate prenatal child support. According to the state's Planned Parenthood Association and the bill's sponsor, but a few states, including Wisconsin and New York, have provisions that can result in fathers being financially responsible for pre-birth expenses. Governor Spencer Cox, a Republican, recently signed the proposal which received widespread support in the GOP-controlled legislature. Republican Rep. Brady Brommer said he decided to sponsor the measure because he had grown frustrated with the number of anti-abortion measures going through the legislature and wanted to pursue legislation that would make it easier to bring life into the world. We want to help people and actually be pro-life in how we do it as opposed to anti-abortion. One of the ways to help with that was to help the burden of pregnancy be decreased. The bill would apply to a pregnant woman's health insurance, premiums and any pregnancy related medical costs If the paternity of the child is disputed, fathers won't be required to pay until after paternity is established. The father also wouldn't be financially responsible for the cost of an abortion received without his consent unless it's necessary to prevent the death of the mother or if the pregnancy was the result of rape. In Utah, mothers already have the option to seek support related to birth expenses through the courts but few do, said Lisa Stockdale, director of the state's office of recovery services which typically collects child support. She said mothers will now have the option to also seek pregnancy related payments through the legal system but it's unclear how often they will pursue it. I don't know how often it will be used, Stockdale said, that's yet to be seen how often parents will choose to pursue these costs but certainly if they do, we're here to correct. The bill is not intended to lower the frequency of abortions but Brahma said that could be a potential result. Anti-abortion activists have lauded the bill however saying it will protect the lives of unborn children by supporting women through their pregnancy. Merrilee Boyack, chairman of the Abortion Free Utah Coalition said she hopes this bill will decrease abortions in the state by lessening economic pressures on new moms. Anything we can do to support women in these circumstances will help them be able to give birth to their babies, feel good about that choice and feel supported along the way, Boyack said. The new legislation comes on top of a long list of restrictions Utah has placed on abortion. Last year, the state approved a measure that would make abortions illegal if the US Supreme Court overturns the decades-old ruling that legalised it nationwide. The Utah measure would make it a felony to perform the procedure, except in cases involving rape, incest and serious threat to life of a mother. Other Republican-governed states have been considering an array of tough, anti-abortion restrictions this year. Sweeping abortion bans have already been signed into law in South Carolina and Arkansas. Democratic lawmakers and women's rights activists have questioned whether the new legislation on fathers helping to cover costs will actually meet women's needs. Planned Parenthood spokeswoman Katrina Barker said she supports giving women more financial support but said there are better ways to help women like expanding Medicaid, access to contraception and providing paid parental leave. Barker also said she doesn't believe this legislation will lead to fewer women having abortions because the costs of pregnancy are typically small compared with the costs of raising a child which it is you know, raising a child, i.e., with, you know, with everything that goes on goes on with that, is considerably higher than during pregnancy. Um, but that's just my opinion. Again, you know, I'm not, I'm not a dad, so I don't know. In the grand scheme of things, having a child and raising them to adulthood is going to be a lot more money. But like I said the average cost of raising a child is. $233,610 excluding the cost of college for a middle-income family according to a 2015 report from the US Department of Agriculture. The cost of an abortion can range from being free to up to 1000 depending on location and whether the mother has health insurance according to Planned Parenthood. Domestic abuse tends to escalate during pregnancy And seeking these costs could further increase stresses about financially supporting a baby, said Gabriella Archuleta, a public policy analyst with YWCA Utah, which provides services to domestic violence survivors. About 324,000 pregnant women are abused each year in the United States, according to data from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Archuleta also noted that this measure doesn't equitably address the high cost of navigating the legal system and will likely only serve women who are wealthier or have wealthy partners. On the surface of it, it sounds like a good idea, but what we're here to do is look at some of the nuances and how it impacts women and I don't think those nuances were really explored to the extent that they should have been podcast platforms you can find us on spotify acast apple podcast amazon music podcast breaker and of course anchor also if you would like to support our podcast uh, then you can leave us a review on itunes or google play or wherever you can leave a review it would really help us out and let everyone else know about us and that would be greatly appreciated Also, you can find us on Instagram at ScarsLevBehind, that's behind without the E.